Hello everyone, this is Caprogman here. As you can tell, I've got a bit of a cold, so apologies for that straight off the bat. I'm also recording this directly into my laptop. I don't have a microphone with me. Um, essentially, I'm in London for a conference and really wanted to get this episode out. So apologies for the uh, low sound quality of this part at the very least. What I thought I'd do was I'd release episode 14, which was only ever available for patrons. The reason that I'm releasing this now for everyone else, essentially, is because Keith of Arcade Attack recently, as in today, as this is going out, put out an episode where he went through uh, all of his favourite Mega Drive boss themes and he's promised to do maybe a few more similar things. So I thought what I would do was I would release this episode so you could all have a listen to what I put together about a year ago now, like I say, episode 14. So we're talking 2017, early 2017, about May, I guess. What I will say is stick around all the way to the end, like until the, your podcatcher stops playing the file because there's a little bit of a bonus thing at the end also check the show notes i'll have a link to the arcade attack episode with keith talking about his favorite mega drive boss theme music anyway anyway uh, on with the show music has been used in video games almost since the first commercially available arcade cabinets those early games use simple polyphonic beeps and bloops to create some pretty impressive soundscapes Somewhere along the way, the video games companies decided that music would need to be more of a core part of the experience, probably as a way to differentiate between all of the other cabinets in the video arcade. And thank goodness for whoever that person was. Since the late 80s, video game music has had a rapid evolution. As the technology evolved, so did the music that the technology provided. We've come a long way since the first Pac-Man and Space Invaders cabinets, although I'm not saying that Pac-Man and Space Invaders were the first. And most of the AAA titles these days have scores written by big-name composers, which are all performed by full orchestras. It's become a serious business, with soundtrack sales making some very serious revenue for the video game companies not to mention royalties for the royalty of video game music, if you'll pardon the pun. We live in an age where there are travelling musicians who put on really big shows where they perform the best that video game music has to offer. We have celebrity YouTubers, the likes of Brentlefloss and Megaran, to name just two, who have made part of their careers writing lyrics to establish video game songs. Video Games Live, arguably the first of the big live video game music shows, ask those who sign up for their newsletter and email alerts to recommend songs that they should play as part of their shows. And with their latest tour starting to gather steam as I record this, I thought I'd take a look back at some of my favourite video game songs. This is not an expensive list. If it was, then the episode would have easily been hours long. And as much as I love to waffle, I don't think you'd appreciate me talking at you for that long. These songs aren't presented in any kind of favourite or ranked order, except to say that I've picked 10 of my favourites and tried to create a sort of flow or a playlist of sorts. I've tried to create a beginning, a middle and an end to this kind of story I want to tell. Anyway, let's get on with this. Firstly, Angels with Burning Hearts from Burning Rangers.
Let's start with something to get everyone going. Burning Rangers was released in 1998 for the Sega Saturn and used a modified version of the engine created for the earlier Sega Saturn game Nights into Dreams. The setting for this game was the near future, an elite team of firefighters called the Burning Rangers rush headlong into danger to save innocent civilians. This game is one of my favourites, hands down, partly because of the absolutely kick-ass anime intro and the storyline, but also because of this song. Listening to it never fails to make the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end, whether it's the subtle, overdriven guitars, hidden just under the rest of the accompaniment, the scratchy vocals, the lyrics, or the brass which seems to want to punch you in the face. I don't think I'll ever be able to put it down to one thing. This song rocks. Live and learn, Sonic Adventure 2. As much as Angels with Burning Hearts rocks, Live and Learn will melt your face. Continuing on the road to rock, we find Senuoi June and Johnny Gioelli, more than likely just murdered his name there, collectively known as Rush 40. Live and Learn is the title screen song, or attract song, from Sonic Adventure 2, and really sets the tone for the much improved sequel to the 1998 original. To be honest, I was this close to choosing Escape from the City, as it's the most fun song to play on the original Sonic Adventure, and the first video game song I ever learned to play on bass. But this song went out on just the plain grit and air guitar ability. Is that a phrase? Live and Learn, as with Angels with Burning Hearts, has a fantastically upbeat and positive feel and message. There's no dissection of the music here, because it's just balls to the walls, rock and fun. Signs of Love, Persona 4. Taking a break from the heavy, fast rock for a moment and stepping over to the dance-meets-J-pop arena, we find Signs of Love from Persona 4. This is where things mellow out a little, but only because we have no loud guitars and scratchy vocals. We've walked out of the rock club and taken a walk into the trendy, yet low-key bar. 
the kind of bar where everyone seems to be nodding slightly while the DJ queues up funky new jazz house music and everyone's drinking gin. Persona 4 was released in 2008 and is the fourth game in the Shin Megami Tensei Persona series of JRPGs. I'll be honest, and we'll probably get shot for heresy here, I've only ever played one Persona game, and 4 was the one that I played. It is precisely what I look for in a JRPG these days, and provided a sort of relaxing difference to what has become the modern Final Fantasy game. I don't feel that they're that good, if I'm honest. I kind of gave up after 10-2, you know, with the whole, let's make a game about dressing up. Signs of Love was used as a sort of overworld theme for Persona 4. It's the main theme which plays as you explore Inaba and fits really well with the aesthetic of the game. Plus, it scratches that house-jazz fusion itch that I have. Attack the Barbarian, Streets of Rage. You somehow thought I wouldn't include a piece by the legendary Koshiro Yuzo in this short list? Well, you were sadly mistaken. Where Signs of Love has its dreamy, house-like funkiness. Attack the Barbarian punches you in the face with its 90s techno-punk vibe and keeps punching you until you submit to his will. And that's what makes this song so amazing. Streets of Rage, or Bare Knuckle as it was known in Japan, was released for the Mega Drive slash Genesis in 1990. It was Sega's attempt and bloody good it was, at making a side-scrolling brawler for the Mega Drive. Sure, they'd released an arcade conversion of Golden Axe one year earlier, and a lot of people see the home release as the better version of the game, but it never really competed with titles like Final Fight, perhaps because GoldenEye is, by its very nature, all about fantasy and the fantasy tropes. Anyway, this song wants to beat you up, steal your lunch money, and spend five minutes laughing at you. It's only fitting that it was used as boss music because it really does set up a sense of urgency, but you don't need me to tell you that. Sim Nova, The Sims. Mm-hmm. 
now that we've had our teeth kicked in by Streets of Rage, we need another chill session whilst we heal and repair. And that's what Bossim Nova will do for us. The Sims was a game-changing, if you'll allow me to do a second pun, simulation game released in 2000 for Windows. This piece will always be my favourite from that genre-defining and destroying game. I'll always remember making my Sims set the radio station to whichever was playing this song. Sure, there were ways of putting your virtual person through hell without having to play this song over and over, constructing a wall around them whilst they need the toilet, or depriving them of social interactions and watching them literally lose their minds, but none of them were as chilled out and laid back as listening to this music over and over again. I suppose that kind of makes me a psychopath, really. Ah well. Everybody jump around. Jet Set Radio. Y'all ready to get funky? The most important part of dance is music. So now let us listen to the music and identify the beats. One. This is the first song in this list by Richard Jacques, and it's the first to have a sample of the Beatles in it. Go listen to the full version and let us know if you spot it. It's used in full twice during this song. If you don't spot it, let us know and I'll I'll kind of I'll let you know what it was if you really want to know. Everyone has that one game that made their controllers shudder and cringe with fear. And Sega's Jet Set Radio, originally released in 2000 for the Dreamcast, was that game for me. The controls were both perfect and ultimately baffling at the same time. By that, I mean that the controls were perfect, right up until the camera angle changed, at which point all bets were off. But this track, and the others by the equally legendary Nagamura Hideki, blended almost seamlessly with the hip-hop and electronica by commercial artists, which also made up this soundtrack. Apple, Tokyo Extreme Racer. We've had our fun dalliances with hip-hop, electronica, and even a little jazz-infused pop. But now it's time to get back to the topic of winning at something. The guitar riff at the centre of this track from Crave and Genki's 
1999 Dreamcast title, Kicks Butt. It's the song that starts to play when you're challenged to a race by the boss of some rival gang, and it plays repeatedly throughout your race with them. I can't tell you how many times I've gunned the accelerator in my overpowered car as the opening notes hit, watching it pull off into the middle distance, which is something that this arcade racer did to make you feel like the car was going at 200 kilometers per hour, and it bloody worked. Knowing that I was leaving the boss to eat my dust right up until I'd hit the bottom right corner and have to drift around it, and failing with the level of panache which betrayed my years of practice. This song perfectly captures the feeling of slamming the accelerator home and feeling the G's pile up, even though you were sat in your favourite chair and weren't going anywhere. I could swear that I'd been flung back in my chair as this song hit and I'd slammed on the accelerator. And after hearing this song, I'm pretty sure that you would swear the same thing too. It doesn't really matter. Metropolis Street Racer. with my man Richard Jacques for the Dreamcast title Metropolis Street Racer from Bizarre Creations, who are more famous these days for the Lego games, but also who made Sonic R. Released in 2000, this simulation racer was a completely different breed of racing game. Instead of earning money by achieving first place, you earned kudos, the in-game currency, by performing well, avoiding crashing, and performing as many crowd-pleasing tricks like drifting, drafting, and 360 burnouts as possible. You could trade in your cash of kudos for better and faster cars, and to unlock extra venues. It was the first racer that I knew of which had an online mode with a realistic date-time system. It would use the Dreamcast's internal clock to figure out the local time for the race venue, available venues were London, San Fran and Tokyo, and would present the location as it would be at the time. If you were racing at 2am UK time at a venue in Tokyo, it would be beaming midday sunshine, for instance. And of course, we wouldn't have the wonderful Xbox series of racing games, Project Gotham Racing, without Metropolis Street Racer. Project Gotham Racing being the spiritual successor, if not actually a sequel to, Metropolis Street Racer. It doesn't really matter. Sounds like it could have been a UK chart topper at the time. It has elements of the Spice Girls pop, with some Latin infusions, and some wonderful electric piano. It made a perfect soundtrack to those early morning dew-covered San Fran driftathons. The underwater level. 
TMNT. TMNT for the NES will always have a special place in my heart. It's one of the first video games that I remember playing during my first summer of video games, and I played it at a time when I was turtle mad. Who am I kidding? I'm still turtle mad now. I've written about TMNT before, I'd make sure to check the show notes for a link to that article, and just how amazing and earth-shattering that game was to me. The underwater level was one which took place in a dam. This was the second level in the game, and it was quite a tense one. It seems that Shredder and his henchmen had set a bomb at one of the dams around New York City. The game never specified exactly which dam, though, and the turtles only had a small amount of time to disarm each bomb. This wouldn't be a problem if it went for the bloody seaweed. Touching the seaweed, whilst not hard to avoid but difficult to get out of once you were stuck in it, causes harm to your chosen turtle, and if he dies, then you have to start the stage all over again with one less turtle. This song perfectly sets up a sense of tension, and to this day, still makes me rush a little when I hear it, especially if the turtle that you're playing as is hurting, and you get a chorus of the biddly deeps telling you that they are in danger of dying, and that you only have one second remaining until the bomb goes off, and then you realise you're lost in the underwater cavern. That's Death. Discworld 2, Missing Presumed. There's a place you're always welcome That's as nice as it can be Everyone can get in Cause it's absolutely free That's Death No need to take a breath just lie around all day. It's only fitting that I end this list with a song about death, right? Not death as in the affliction, though. Death as in the hooded fella with the pale complexion. Does a lot of reaping. And talking in all caps. That death. Discworld death. And yes, I've used the UK title for the game because the American title only works well as a pun when written down. The, uh, the full title is Morality Bites. But with a Y. See what I mean? Discworld 2 is the 1996 sequel to the 1995 point-and-click Discworld adventure game, which wasn't the first Discworld game either. 1986's The Colour of Magic was the first Discworld game, being based on the first Discworld novel. But it was the first in the series, which was animated by the Hanna-Barbera folks. The first Discworld adventure game wasn't. The second Discworld adventure game was indeed animated by Hanna-Barbera. That's Death was the game's opener, and provided folks who were new to the series, and new to Pratchett, with a perfect introduction to the sideways logic and frankly wonderful humour that was Terry Pratchett. It's a Python-esque, and not just because it was written and performed by Eric Idle, take on a big band number complete with dancing skeletons, 
In my opinion, it remains the single greatest intro song in the history of everything. Simply nothing has beaten it for its style and panache. As I said at the start of this episode, this wasn't an extensive list of songs. A full list would have taken hours to talk my way through, and I'm sure that I would have said punch you in the face about a thousand times more, and I would probably never be able to complete the planning stages, let alone the full list, because I have far too many favourites. I mean, I had to leave out Fisherman's Horizon from Final Fantasy VIII, for instance, which is one of the most chilled out songs I've ever heard in a video game, and one of my all-time favourites. Music in video games has come a long way since the bleeps and bloops of yesteryear. There are even licensed songs which appear in video games and have done since the 90s. Although this leaves me wondering when the first removal of a song from a video game which has already been released due to some licensing dispute will happen, because it's a case of when rather than if. Just like when Amazon removed copies of 1984 from customers' Kindles because the license had changed. And I wonder whether it would be a cloud-connected game or not. I feel like it's already happened with one of the rock band games, you know. There are people who make a good portion of their living by recording covers and remixes of video game songs. And there is a massive market for putting on live video game music shows. The likes of Video Games Live, which has been a world-touring show for 12 years, is preparing to release its sixth album, and one of its concerts was even shown on PBS in the United States and Sky Arts in the UK. And similar shows, like Distant Worlds, they've really raised the bar on what was once just a way to keep the attention of players in the hopes that they'd keep putting money into an arcade cabinet. And it isn't just the live shows which get all the attention. I mean, I myself listen to soundtracks from my favourite video games every now and again. I also know a fair few developers who swear by listening to video game soundtracks as a way of maintaining focus. The idea is that the music is meant to help you focus when you're playing the game, so it should help you focus when you're doing some kind of task that requires a lot of concentration, right? Let us know what your favourite songs from video games are in the comments section of the show notes, which can always, always be found at wafflingtailors.rocks. Maybe send us a tweet, uh, we're at Waffling Tailors, or tell us over Facebook, and you can find us there by searching for Waffling Tailors. Also, don't forget to let us know if you spot the repeated samples of the Beatles in Everybody Jump Around. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a big clue. Um, I've included both samples in the excerpts of the song from this episode, so, you know, just rewind and listen to it again. Intro music is Behind the Lines by Ian Sutherland. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. See the show notes for more details.
Even fools like me can have a go at recording video game music, just like when I recorded a tribute to Sabotender, the giant cactus enemy found in most Final Fantasy games, set to the backing of I Surrender by Rainbow. I'll warn you now that I'm a pretty terrible singer and we are about to hear a snippet of that very song. I apologise in advance. We want to remember Sabotender, Sabotender why are you so big when you render? Return to Santa, ring the mender. I'm putting a kebab in a blender. Sabotender. 